Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. I'm pleased to see you returned once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I'm your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got uh, quite a bizarre thing. It may look like a normal notebook bound in black, and if we kind of flip through the pages, uh, you'll see handwritten notes some of them some of them refer to hand signals uh, this is a notebook that seems to go in depth into the workings of a carnival mentalist it's the kind of notebook that would be used by one of the characters in the subject of today's episode so let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at guillermo del toro's nightmare alley now, Nightmare Alley is a movie that Guillermo del Toro has kind of had in the works for quite some time. Uh, they began shooting, I don't know if it started in 2019 or early 2020, but it was a movie that uh, production had to halt. Uh, they had about 45% of the movie filmed, and they had to halt production because of COVID, which has really made this a much-anticipated movie for, for a lot of reasons, because of that you know time gap between when they started started filming to when the movie was actually able to be released it's a two two and a half year you know span from when it started to when it ended plus it's Guillermo del Toro uh, getting back into directing he has worked a lot on the production side of things of course uh, was the producer of antlers one of my favorite movies of 2021 he produced scary stories to tell in the dark but this is his first time in the director's chair since his oscar winning the shape of water so i was really excited to see Guillermo del Toro back in the director's chair and coming out with something that I thought was going to be one thing and it turned out to be quite the, not the opposite, but it was quite another thing. Of course, with Guillermo del Toro, you really have a lot of expectation when it comes to his movies. Uh, going back to, you know, one of the first movies I remember seeing of his was Mimic, uh, and then Devil's Backbone, Blade 2, Hellboy, Pan, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, the list goes on, Pacific Rim, Shape of Water. He's, he's known for so many bizarre creatures and monsters and taking you into a fantasy world that he can really kind of play with characters and creature design and monsters and things that go bump in the night and oddities and misfits. And well, you got that with this movie. It's not in the same type of vehicle that you would expect from him. Like I said, this isn't Pan's Labyrinth. This isn't The Shape of Water. There's no creatures. There's there's monsters, but not of the fantastical variety. And, you know, when I, I heard it was Guillermo del Toro, I heard it was called Nightmare Alley. I kind of had those expectations. Even the trailer, you have that great Willem Dafoe voiceover where he's talking about, is it man or beast? And, and really thought this was going to have some sort of supernatural element to it, which I'm going to be right off the bat here, straightforward with you. I'm going to try not to be too spoilery with this because I think it really is still a good movie. Uh, just not 
exactly what you would expect from a Guillermo del Toro movie. But uh, I'm going to say right off the bat, uh, this may be a spoiler, probably not, but uh, there's nothing supernatural about this, although it delves into the idea of the supernatural. It doesn't have any monsters or or creatures, but it does have monsters, um, monsters that live on the inside of us, monsters of our own making. So while this wasn't the film that I thought I was going to be talking about here on Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, because we tend to lean more towards the supernatural, the creatures, the things that go bump in the night, the aliens from outer space, that sort of thing, the genre type stuff. Uh, this may not be your traditional movie like that but this does play like a like a twisted fairy tale much in the vein of what Guillermo del Toro does with a lot of his his movies Devil's Backbone Pan's Labyrinth Shape of Water kind of had those that feel to it that you get from those types of movies so what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the the plot like I said try not to be too spoilery we're going to talk about some of the themes and and the fantastic cast if anything this movie has a top-notch cast do some of the characters really reach their full potential I don't know we'll we'll discuss that uh, I know that's been uh, a big debate among some of the critics and some of the reviewers out there, but we're going to first start off with Bradley Cooper, who plays the title character. Now, this is a story based off a 1947, I believe, no, 1946 book called Nightmare Alley by William Lindsay Gresham. And I've never read this book, but what I know of the book, the the movie stays fairly close and fairly true to the the story uh, of Nightmare Alley that uh, William Gresham wrote back in in 1946, there was another film adaptation in 1947 uh, starring Tyrone Power, and you know he was kind of a big matinee type star. It was directed by Edmund Golding, and remember that name Tyrone Power because we're going to bring his name up uh, a little bit later. It's kind of an interesting little uh, twist to this story, a little uh, side note to this story, but. It all starts off with the Bradley Cooper character. Now he plays Stanton Carlisle. We meet him. He's he's burning a body. You see this in the in the trailer, and he's he's going off. He's you know a tramp. This is uh, back in the I think it starts out in the late 30s, ends up in the early 40s. But he gets in with a traveling carnival show. You don't know much about this Stanton Carlisle character. He starts working at this carnival. You know, it's like, you know, they're going to give him a hot meal and then help him. he helps out with some stuff. And it just uh, on and on until he gets immersed in this carnival world. Now, Willem Dafoe plays Clem, the guy who runs the carnival. He's the one that kind of takes the Stanton Carlisle character in. And Stanton Carlisle learns to be a mentalist. He gets in with uh, the Tony Collette character. Xena uh, and her, I don't know if it's her husband or partner, uh, probably more of a partner, Pete, played by David Strathairn. And he learns the ways of becoming a mentalist, a guy that can kind of size you up and pick out little bits of your attire or things about you and really make uh, very educated assumptions and make you think that they can read your mind. He falls in love with Molly, played by Rooney Mara, who kind of has a, a bit of a protection 
protector, father figure, Bruno. He's the strong man. Mara, or actually Molly, is the the electric girl, the girl that you know sits on the chair and pretends to be electrocuted. Uh, Ron Perlman plays Bruno. He's the strong man and, and kind of a a father figure to the Molly character. And, and Stanton and Molly, you know, they they fall in love. Uh, they talk about wanting to leave and go on and do bigger things. He's got a a bigger act that he wants to put on with this this mentalist skill that he's developed and, and learned, but he's never really put it on display for everyone. Now, there's an interesting scene early on where Willem Dafoe talks about they have a, a geek, which in carny talk is carnival performer who does bizarre and grotesque acts and they have this this guy it's it's in the trailer where he's talking about is he man or beast it's him kind of doing the carnival barking thing about this act about this guy who's rips chickens heads off and drinks its blood and kind of comes across as some beast man now we find out that this is just some poor slob who's drunk and high on opiates and clem tells bradley cooper's stanton carlisle how he got this man this this guy to be this this geek talked about how he offers him a drink offers him a job He's got the perfect job for you. Uh, you know, it's just temporary. You don't have to do it long until we find somebody else. Uh, you know, get some hooked on uh, alcohol and opium. And when the guy doesn't want to do it anymore, you, you take the job away from him until he comes crawling back uh, because he wants another drink. He wants more of the opium. And then he becomes this man beast type character. And not in the supernatural sense, but he so wants to, to have another drink that that Clem or whoever runs whatever carnival uh, will provide for him that, uh, that he'll do anything. He'll become anything. He'll convince himself in his own mind that he is this, this animal and will do, you know, where he starts out using a razor blade to, to cut the chicken's throat and pretend to drink the blood. Then he's actually doing it when he's so hooked and so in need of that next fix. And it's a really interesting look into that, that life in the 40s, because this is all set uh, essentially in the 40s, and it comes back into play later in the movie. Now, Stan and Molly, they leave the carnival scene, they go off to New York State, and he becomes a a big act there, where he's selling out two shows a night, uh, doing this mentalist routine. He's taught Molly to do the hand signs, to, you know, give each other verbal cues as to what a person might be wearing or what they might have in their hand. Uh, That also is very interesting stuff as to see the inner mechanisms of how mentalism works but they're performing for high society and they they start getting involved with high society we're introduced to the Kate Blanchett character Lilith Ritter she's a psychologist she's hired by a well-to-do man to kind of uh, call Stanton Carlisle out and see if he's for real. And and Stanton Carlisle, you know, he he interacts with her and and kind of puts on a show and does what he was told not to do, uh, not to put on a spook show. The Pete character who taught him mentalism told him not to put on a spook show. And that's essentially where you pretend you're speaking with the spirits and you can communicate with the beyond. Uh, Molly tells him to stay away from that sort of thing. But he does what I think is his greatest downfall in this whole movie and this whole uh, book as well, is that he starts to believe his own hype. 
and starts to feel like he is untouchable because he has this special skill, this special gift. And he essentially performs a a bit of a spook show for this well-to-do guy. Uh, They do a private meeting. But this really gets him entangled with the Lilith Ritter character who is very much the typical femme fatale. Now, this also leads to him getting involved with other well-to-do members of New York society. Uh, One, in fact, played by Richard Jenkins, who he, along with Ron Perlman, Guillermo del Toro loves those guys. uh, They seem to show up in uh, most all of his stuff, or at least, uh, you know, one of them will be in in one of the things. But uh, Richard Jenkins plays Ezra Grindel. He's a well-to-do man who is guilt-ridden because he lost a woman who was carrying his child. Uh, They both died, and he's got skeletons in his closet. And Stanton Carlyle starts doing the essential spook show with him. And he's been warned because this is a dangerous guy. He's been warned by by Lilith Ritter, the psychiatrist. He's been warned by uh, a lot of people that uh, he shouldn't get involved with this. He shouldn't play with fire. And he does. And it, it leads to this big climax where... You get some of the more gory elements. There is a little bit of gore. If you like some gore, uh, there's uh, there's a scene at the end where a couple things happen, uh, where blood is shed, and in a grotesque way. I think that, other than the fairy tale like aesthetic of this movie, uh, that was the only other thing that really felt very much Guillermo del Toro his his style uh, you know he's he's always into creatures and things like that maybe not so much the gore but it, it really played to his his sense of the bizarre and the unsettling but the Stanley Carlisle characters on the run he he goes to the Lilith Ritter Kate Blanchett's character uh, for help finds that she is uh, in fact the femme fatale and and has turned her back on him uh, with a bit of a bit of a twist that uh, a twist of the plot that you saw coming a mile away I, I'm not going to get into too many details in case you haven't seen the movie but you really saw this coming because she did exactly what Clem explained to Stanton Carlisle earlier in the movie about getting a geek. She kind of played into his sense of wanting to be understood. He had there's a there's a sub story where you know he had a uh, an incident with his father. It's a bit of a mystery that you don't ever really get fully unraveled. Um, you get glimpses of it here and there. The body that you see him laying to rest earlier in the movie uh, happens to be his father, and we we see a little more of what happened there, but we never really get the full story. But she kind of gives him a taste of of what it's like to be understood. Uh, she gives him a taste of information that can help him with these. Uh, rich, well-to-do benefactors who who want his services. Uh, she gives him a little bit of information that'll help him, and he comes keeps coming back for more a- until she's got him hooked into trusting her implicitly. And then we find out her real intentions. 
Then we see Stanton Carlisle on the run. Uh, he becomes homeless. He's lost everything. He's lost Molly. He's lost all the money he's made. He's lost, you know, essentially the only thing that can sustain him is that audience that that he can perform these these mind tricks with. And he becomes homeless and destitute. And we see him uh, hanging around with bums and hobos until he stumbles across a carnival. And he's going to ask for work. He, you know, tells of his mentalism and the guy that runs the carnival he's not really into that sort of thing but hey you know i might have a job for you and he gives him a drink uh he says i'll give you a roof over your head and a little food and maybe a drink once in a while and i'm looking for a geek it's only temporary it's only until we find somebody more permanent and bradley cooper gets it he you know his character stanton carlisle gets it that uh, he knows he's being sucked in. And while at the beginning of the movie, he claims he's never touched a drop of whiskey, never touched a drop of alcohol. It's not until he gets involved with Lilith that she kind of, much like she drew him in with little bits of uh, first little understanding, then a little information, then a little more information. Uh, she also got him hooked on alcohol as well. Uh, she kept offering him drinks. And then she would take a drink and kiss him. And then he starts drinking and and he starts drinking more and more until it's affecting him and Molly's relationship. And, and by the end of this, he's a full-blown alcoholic. And when this carnival guy offers him a drink and... And he wants to do anything for that. Uh, he realizes now he is that that geek that he ran across in the beginning who uh, was this poor soul that, that was very empathetic. You felt sorry for this this guy, this, this bum, down on his luck, alcoholic, hooked on opium. You know, he was a, a raving lunatic. But there was a bit of empathy, and the Stanton Carlisle showed this geek uh, a little bit of empathy, and now he finds himself in those shoes. And it's a very tragic and bleak end to a very long and, and drawn-out story. Uh, this was, what, 150 minutes? two and a half hours worth of movie and at times it went a little slow i wasn't watching my watch but i'm like okay let's let's pick up the pace here and where is this going and i spent the whole movie wondering that where's this going am i going to see anything supernatural which i didn't at some point in the the viewing i realized this wasn't a guillermo del toro supernatural story and and I was fine with that. This wasn't Guillermo del Toro Hellboy. This wasn't Guillermo del Toro Pan's Labyrinth. This this wasn't even Guillermo del Toro uh, Shape of Water in so much of the, the creatures and the fantasy of it. But this was Guillermo del Toro <laughs> wanting to win another Oscar. And there's a possibility. I think this will have some nominations because it's that type of movie. It's the movie that the, the Oscar crowd loves. Um, Bradley Cooper's in it. He's an Oscar darling, especially off of the movie with him and Lady Gaga, uh, A Star is Born. And, and, and Bradley Cooper is, is a good actor and, and played this very well. Some of the criticisms I saw was that he wasn't sinister enough to be a bad guy. Well, he wasn't supposed to be a bad guy. Bradley Cooper's Stanton Carlisle is 
a guy that's got a past and we never really fully understand that past, but we get an idea that he has a troubled past and he's out on his own and he builds himself up. He builds himself up to the pinnacle and then comes crashing down. He's Icarus. I've heard that described. You know, he's he's the Icarus story. He flew a little, little too close to the sun because he was full of his own hubris. Like I said before, he starts to believe his own hype and then, you know, he thinks he's untouchable and then all of a sudden everything he built came from nothing, became the tops and then went straight back to nothing. So he wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't supposed to be a bad guy. Was he a monster? Uh, he did become a monster in some ways. The monster that lives inside of all of us. That monster of pride, that monster of wanting it all. You know, he had Molly, but she all of a sudden started to not be enough. And then he started coveting the Kate Blanchett Lilith Ritter character because she was dangling something he wanted. Something to take him to what he thought was the next level. Uh, he, more power. And that is, you know, like I said, that's the ultimate downfall of this Stanton Carlisle character is that he wanted, he wanted it all. He believed his own hype. Nothing was ever good enough. Uh, he couldn't be happy with his station and he kept climbing higher until, you know, the higher you climb, the farther down it is when you fall. So he wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't a sinister guy. He is a guy that is the monster of his own making. He's the guy that you sit there and see what they're doing and you wish you could shake him and say, hey, look at this. This isn't going to end well, but you can't. And you just have to watch them. Even though you can see the tragedy at the end of the, the tunnel, uh, you can't stop them. And that is what that Bradley Cooper character is. Not a bad guy. He's not sinister. He wasn't supposed to be sinister. Kate Blanchett, she was the sinister one. She was the femme fatale. She was uh, what this, I mean, this movie really was, uh, it had a noir feel to it. You'd call it neo-noir if you want, but it kind of had that noir feel to it, especially being set in the 40s, uh, really played into that. And she, she played that typical uh, noir film style femme fatale. She looked the part uh, with the, the bright red lipstick but she is the one she had an agenda i don't know whether she had an agenda from the beginning but she had an agenda and she lured uh, stanton carlisle into her her net her web if you will and the the twist like i said you saw it coming a mile away but you couldn't tell you know it's like you can't reach into the screen and and shake the protagonist you just have to watch it play out and i think that was probably part of the grueling nature of this movie that I think a lot of reviewers don't care for. Uh, they said it was long and drawn out. And yeah, you know, at a two and a half hours, it, it was quite long. Uh, I heard some call it boring. Uh, I wouldn't say it was boring, but like I said, you could see a lot of the things coming uh, from a very long distance off. You could see uh, the Stanton Carlisle character, where his story was going to end a mile away. You could see Kate Blanchett was up to no good. Uh, you could see that a mile away. Uh, was it her best performance? I, I don't. I'm not saying it was a bad performance. I've seen her in better. Uh, you want to talk about great performances, though. Willem Dafoe. And this is the second Willem Dafoe vehicle that I've, I've watched in the past uh, week or so because he was just amazing in Spider-Man No Way Home. 
And he was just as good in this. Willem Dafoe is not necessarily a scene stealer, but he is a scene commander. He commands your attention in every scene. Not necessarily stealing it, but just his acting prowess just adds a bit of gravity to any scene. And you can't get out of a scene with him and not be stunned a little bit by how how well he acts and the style with which he acts it just has like i said that gravitas that uh, not a lot of actors have and you put him in the right kind of character especially this clem character this carnival barker this this showman without being showy he's got such a distinct voice and a distinct cadence to his voice that this really was a, a great role for Willem Dafoe. And of course, this had, like I said, a ton of great actors. Uh, Rooney Mara, Ron Perlman, uh, Mary Steenburgen's in it. Richard Jenkins is in this. Jim Beaver, for all you uh, Supernatural fans out there. And there's also a bit of a cameo, so to speak, Romina Power. Now, she just played an audience member and I think uh, one of Stanton Carlisle's uh, shows. But Romina Power is actually the daughter of Tyrone Power, who played the Stanton Carlisle character in the 1947 version of Nightmare Alley. So it was kind of neat that her father played this character and you know in 1947 and she got to be a part of the remake in 2021. So that that was a kind of a nice little nod to the predecessor of this film adaptation. So all in all, this wasn't the movie I thought it was going to be. There was no supernatural elements to it, but it did have a an element of the bizarre. It did have a, a melancholic uh, element to it. It had kind of a, a weird fantasy, a weird fairy tale feel to it. A lot of Guillermo del Toro's work does have that kind of uh, fantasy fairy tale type feel to it. It felt like a morality tale. And there definitely was a moral uh, at the end of the story. Don't believe your own hype. Don't fly too close to the sun to borrow from uh, the story of Icarus. There's something to be said for you know, being content with what you have. Uh, wanting more doesn't always end well. And I'm sure there's a lot more themes and metaphors that that you might be able to derive from this. Uh, I, I encourage everyone to check it out. If you're not going to go to the movie theater, I would encourage you to at least check it out, rent it, or wait till it comes on streaming. But it is, it's definitely worth a watch. It, it's not a bad movie. It is, like I said, it's a bit long. It's a bit drawn out. But the characters, I think, are interesting enough, even though, like I said, you can see where a lot of them are going. You can see the train wreck coming a couple miles down the train track. But I'm a fan of Bradley Cooper. I'm a fan of Willem Dafoe. Tony Collette, uh, I'm a fan of hers. And she wasn't in a ton of this movie, but I really enjoyed her performance. Uh, Richard Jenkins, uh, his performance, he always does such a great job. I, I love things that I, I see him show up in. And it's it's got some good actors. It's got some good performances. It's got some so-so performances. I thought Kate Blanchett's her performance was so-so, but maybe maybe that was the character. Maybe she, you know, maybe that was what they were looking for. Just she didn't really seem to pop on the screen as far as character-wise. But if I knew then what I know now, uh, I don't know as if I would have watched this in the movie theater. I probably would have waited till I could see it streaming at home. But uh, but I am glad I saw it. It was an interesting film. And it makes me excited for the Guillermo del Toro version of Pinocchio 
that he's got coming up uh, next year uh, on Netflix. I'm more excited about that now than this. Or he's also got the uh, Cabinet of Curiosities coming out on Netflix uh, next year as well. Uh, I'm excited about that. I want to see traditional Guillermo del Toro. I want to see creatures. I want to see oddities and bizarre things. I mean, you got some of that in this, but in a more grounded realism. That Guillermo del Toro, that's... I'm not saying that's not his wheelhouse, but really fantasy and fantastical things are really more in his wheelhouse. And I want to see him get back to that. So I'm really excited for some of the things he's got coming up and ready to put uh, Nightmare Alley. I'm ready to put that behind me. But if you like uh, stunning imagery, uh, if you like the score, the scores for his movies are, are always enchanting. Nathan Johnson did the music for this. So, uh, you know, if, if you like a good score, if you like interesting characters with some really good performances, uh, you're going to like this. If you like that noir style, uh, older style of 40s movies storytelling, I, I think you're going to like this as well. But the worst you're going to get creature-wise is a weird one-eyed baby in a formaldehyde jar. That's about as, as bizarre a creature as you're going to get in this. So I want to thank everyone for uh, taking time to listen to me talk about a movie that uh, I, I'm so-so about. I don't hate it, but I didn't love it. Like I, I thought I was going to love it. But thanks for listening to me talk about Nightmare Alley. Uh, please check out our Facebook fan page for everything that's going on in the world of uh, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Always posting trailers, new TV shows and movies always posting articles I find on some of the great things that are going on in horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. You can find out about our upcoming episodes. Of course, coming up on Monday, we've got our season two recap of The Witcher, which came out on Netflix here not too long ago. Actually came out the same day Nightmare Alley and uh, Spider-Man came out. So we're going to be talking about season two of The Witcher coming up on Monday the 27th after uh, Christmas. And then on Thursday the 30th, we're going to have our end of the year show. We're going to talk about, uh, uh, we're calling it a curious year in review, talk about some of the curiosities, some of my favorite movies, TV shows, other things uh, that we've we've talked about uh, in, in past episodes and things from the beginning of the year that, uh, you know, the, when the, the podcast wasn't even around, some of the things that uh, I got to watch but never really got a chance to talk about on the show. So uh, that's going to be a fun kind of a year wrap up and kind of look forward to what uh, we've got planned for 2022 here at Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop. So check it all out on our Facebook fan page, Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop. And since we won't talk until after the Christmas holiday, I do want to wish everyone a very merry, a safe and happy Christmas. God bless. And until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!